You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 58. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey folks, we've got another Q&A episode for you today. Thanks for sending the questions and they're starting to pile up pretty quickly again. So we're having to, I think we just did a Q&A episode like two episodes ago, yeah? Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that like if I put something out and tell people like we're taking them, we pile up really, really fast. So I think it's not so much that they're filling up faster as much as there was a period of time where I didn't really put out and they were just kind of being collected slowly. Can you say that again? I didn't put out. I didn't put out for you guys. I'm sorry. That doesn't sound at all realistic. <laughs> no. I don't think I can really get away with not putting out. What do you mean by get away with? You mean not die? Not commit mass homicide, I think. I don't do very well not getting laid. No, you don't. I don't. I, I recognize this about myself and I'm okay with that. Yes. It is who I am. And I am a person and I can be my own person and that's fine. You did have that, those three weeks once where you had that medical procedure and you couldn't have sex and you were uh, very unpleasant to be around. I wouldn't say I was unpleasant. I would just I say- would. As the person I was, who was around you, you were unpleasant. I was a little irritable. Or a lot of irritable, but- I was going to say, I, I don't know what criteria we're using for a little here, but I'm not sure I agree with it. But anyway, so yeah, I hadn't put out and saying, hey guys, you know, we're taking questions. But whenever I do, we fill up really, really quickly with our questions. Yeah. So. What else? Your dog has been, he's your dog. It's like how they're your kids whenever they're, you know, whenever kids are troubled or the other partner's kids, it's your dog. Yeah. So the puppy had this little spot that started on his leg like six days ago and it just looked like it was maybe like a little hot spot or something he bumped. And it was a little tiny bump, little scab. And over like a five and a half day period, it swelled up into this big giant bump and this huge mass. So I had to take him to the vet. They did a bunch of testing on it. He got bit by a spider. You know, we can't determine whether it's a brown reculus or a black widow but most likely a black widow, be it that I got bit by a black widow. I was going to say, what is it with your spirit animals biting people? I feel like you're not doing a very good job. <sighs> yeah, I communicating know. Communicating with your brethren and telling them to lay off. But now, so now the, the pup, and when we say pup, for those of you who don't know, he's like a 180-pound Great Dane, has a giant pony, literally there for small ponies, cone of shame that he's running around the house bashing into everything with, looking very pathetic with his giant cone of shame. Yeah, and when they did the the work to his leg and opened him up and everything. They had to put him in a horse muzzle 
because he wouldn't fit the dog muzzles, which I thought was funny. So he really did look like a pony while all of this was going on. But he was a really good boy. And by really good, you probably mean he didn't care. Well, no, it definitely hurt. He whimpered a little bit, but he never growled. And he mostly just paid attention to the bucket of treats that they yeah, had. I was going to say, he is he's not the sharpest. Uh, I was looking for an alternative to tool in the shed that was more dog oriented, but I just wasn't quick enough on the draw. So we're going to have to go with what we got. Yeah. So he uh, he he's he's doing well. He has a big cone now that's banging into everything and it looks ridiculous, but he should do fine. Yeah. So anything else we can hop into questions? Um, I mean, the only other thing I would say that's kind of newish is we started doing the trust pilot review things for coaching, which has been kind of cool. Yeah. And not so much new. I wouldn't say it's new. Uh, and finally doing something with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, it's more, we've had some more activity on it. Yeah. So we've been for a little while, we've been collecting people's stories who have been through our program and one thing that we started doing pretty early on is videos because like anybody can write things right but when you like see the words coming like from people it's it's a whole whole different ball game so we actually a while ago started collecting videos and and you can see those at a touchflare.com forward slash stories and that's just been an amazing experience for us like talking to people like after they've been through the programs and seeing how their relationships have transformed and then we started using this thing called trust pilot which is to collect verified reviews. Cause like one of the problems with like reviews online, like I don't know about you guys, but like when I see reviews online and like I go to like somebody's website, I feel like especially people in the personal development kind of space, but like I go to somebody's website and I see all these reviews and it's like, you're using stock photos for your reviews or you have no photos. And these sound suspiciously. So, and really the, the fact of the matter is you just don't know who's, Who's doing what, right? Like there's no way to know. So we've partnered with this place called Trustpilot that, that provides verified reviews. Like when you have your customers, every every customer for us, it's a client that you have has to get an invite. Only the people who get the invites can fill them out. And you can't like pick and choose who you send them to. You have to send them through every single, you know, obviously not everybody does it, but you have to send an invite to review your, your company to every single person who goes through your program. So that's been a fun experience. Yeah, and it's also cool because you know there are people that actually worked with the person rather than like sometimes on like Google or something, somebody who has never dealt with the particular company, never done anything, leaves like a review based on just what they looked at as far as their pictures versus actually ever working with them. So it goes both ways, you know, like you get to kind of hear people's stories who have actually dealt with us. And it's been really cool to well, kind of see people write wonderful things about us, which is always, uh, always heartwarming right here. Yeah. So. And it's, it's also awesome just in the sense of like seeing them talk about their own experience versus like, I got to be there along the way, but them talking about their own experience through their own eyes is really, really cool. Yeah, so if you do want to see anything like that, like the stories of people who have come through the program, either uh, videos, I think we have one that's just audio, no video, because we had a client who actually let us use part of a, a call with her, and then uh, and, and now the, the the verified written reviews and all that. If you want to see that, you can go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash stories. Um, there's some really, really cool stuff in there and some some really interesting things with people talking about their experiences. And if if... 
you know, working with us is something that you've thought about doing or you're thinking about maybe doing in the future. I, I can't recommend enough uh, going and taking a look at people's stories and you really get an idea of what people's experiences have been in the program, what people have accomplished. And I, I think a lot of times something that I find, like when I talk to people who have seen those things is, you know, because you always get the questions of, well, how have you ever worked with somebody like me or like, would this work for somebody like me? You're like, I'm in X situation. Like, I don't know. And like now typically like people who have gone through that, like when we talk to somebody, they're like, yeah, like I feel just like blank. Like I, I feel just like blank did. Like I'm in the same spot they are. So it's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. If you're thinking about working with us or if you just have some free time and want to see some like heartwarming shit hop <laughs> over to that page. Uh, it, it's, it's really, really cool. So it's a touch of flavor.com forward slash stories. All right. So our first question today is from Tom and Michelle. Sweet. We have been thinking and talking and fantasizing about a three-way or four-way for years, but do not know the best way to make this happen without announcing it to all of our friends. What advice can you give us? Please. It does say please. Manners are important. Yeah, I appreciate the manners. So what I'm getting from this question is that you're interested in pursuing like a group sexual experience, but are concerned that it's going to out you to your friends or your community while looking for one. That's what I'm gathering. Yeah, sounds pretty, pretty accurate. I don't think this is actually... An incredibly hard problem to solve if you're not concerned about having to sleep with with it be friends friends that you're sleeping with. Like if you're if you're not worried about sleeping with your friends, I don't think this is a particularly hard problem to solve. Yeah, there's a lot of places and activities and things that you can do that you don't necessarily have to put up like a profile and be like, I'm looking for a partner. Like there's the route of like online. I don't want to say dating, but online hooking up like Tinder and stuff like that. And if you're putting up a picture, you're going to have a higher likelihood of being discovered. But there's also things like swing clubs, going to a kink event and meeting people and getting to know people inside of your community and at your play spaces to be able to sort of open that up to having sort of more possibilities for group sex situations. Yeah, I think a lot of this is going to depend on how comfortable you are getting out. I mean, if you're if you're comfortable showing your your face places and you just don't want to out yourself, as you said, to your friends going out, uh, you could go out to a kink thing. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like a swinger club or like, you know, some kind of meetup for swingers would be a, a pretty, pretty good place for you to start. I mean, definitely the kink community would work, but I feel like it's a little more work than necessarily you, you need for what you're looking for here. Yeah. And that's why I suggested a swing club first. Yeah. And there's, um, Cassie and I actually don't spend too much time in the swing crowd. Uh, for, for some of you who aren't as familiar with non-monogamy, it might surprise you to know that as much crossover as there is, there are like the kink communities and the polyamory community, and they're all really kind of separate, uh, at least in our area to a certain extent, even though there's a ton of crossover, there's a ton of crossover. I do know a little bit, you know, and there's, there's, depending on your area, there are swing clubs where you can like meet on site and hook up on site. And there's swing clubs where it's just like you meet people and you flirt and then you arrange something for later, like at somebody's house kind of a thing or at a hotel. So those might be a good, good scenario for you. If you're not willing to 
go out to like a club, even like a meetup, like if you can find like a munch or something like that, either swing or kinky and get out to and show your face around and, you know, kind of make it known that you're available for that kind of thing. Um, and if you're even uncomfortable on that end of things, you can look online. It does work. There is opportunity there. But if you are not okay with your face being out, even in a in in public or at a venue that is friendly to this, right? So I'm not even okay being seen at a swing club by swingers. You may want to think about the online dating thing because a lot of folks, when they don't have any real pictures or they don't have face pictures, it's a lot more unlikely that someone's going to be open to hooking up with you. So it is a possibility, obviously, you know, little little pro tip, it's better to have a picture of yourself of some format, even if it doesn't show your face, than to have a meme or some cartoon. cartoon. Yeah. So that way someone can see that you're actually a real person of some sort. So even if it's a picture from behind or a part of your body or uh, from very, very far away. A part of your body does not mean your dick. No, it does not mean your dick. But uh, you can get creative with this stuff. Yeah, I haven't. I, I spent most of my life without my face and pictures online. You can figure it out. It's not that hard. Yeah, and it can be done in a way that looks artsy and cool, but shows that you're a real person. So um, hide your face behind your hair. Have one person facing the other. But this isn't. If you're taking pictures as a couple, this isn't that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not get the creative. hardest thing. If you're not willing to have pictures at all. It is going to be more challenging and it is more challenging the more away from like a face shot you are. And so I would recommend looking at places that are for hooking up and having sex. That's kind of the key point here. Don't get on dating sites where people are looking for people to date. So like match.com probably is not the place that you want to be looking. You want to go on Tinder. Okay, cute. But if you're honest, I know a few people who have luck on Craigslist, but I generally don't recommend it. And there are actually swinger. Oh, and Craigslist is the personal died on Craigslist now anyways. Yeah. And there are sites that are specific to swingers. That's something to look at. But yeah, go ahead. Have fun. I think you'll... And one more thing that I did want to mention, and I'm not going to dig into it here. There are ways, and it's almost a separate question that I think we may have answered in the past. I, I can't think of when offhand or I'd refer you to the episode. But there are ways to kind of, if you have friends that you're interested in but you're not sure how they're going to react like you have specific people that you're interested in but they're not sure how they're going to react to broach that topic without uh freaking them out yeah without freaking them out to kind of feel them out on that topic i guess is better than broaching if i can remember which episode we answered that question and i'll link to it in the show notes at a touchflavor.com forward slash zero five eight our next question is from Amy, 28, from Michigan, and she says, I was wondering what a non-strict slash casual dominant power exchange relationship is supposed to look like. Her dominant wants her to obey him with everything and not talk about anything. She's wondering if it's toxic behavior or if she's just a shitty sub. Well, you're not a shitty sub. I find this question to be a little interesting in that typically you don't hear it's supposed to be casual and he also wants me to obey him and everything without question. 
at the same time. Like typically that's an attitude that you run into more in like very specific segments of like the 24 seven, like master slave and even, you know, I'd say even not really there. I'm kind of surprised to hear casual and also he wants me to listen to everything without question in the in the same sentence. So you're not a shitty sub. I'm a little hesitant to say it's toxic only because um, it could just be lack of knowing any better since it sounds like, you know, my understanding on the background of this is you guys are just getting started. Uh, but it's certainly wrong, and it's not something that you want to continue doing. So there's there's two things that I see, right? So there's the first thing of I think you guys might need to really sit down and negotiate your power exchange because maybe he is seeing this as something as much more serious MS 24-7, and you're under the opinion that it is supposed to be more of a casual, a little outside the bedroom DS, right? So actually approaching that conversation and having it. Now, the second part of this is even if you're not in like a real strict power exchange and there's, it's more playful, that sort of thing, even if it is more strict, you guys should still be able to have open communication and you should be able to ask about things and have your own sort of rights in the relationship. Like it's one thing to agree to certain things, but you shouldn't have to obey everything. And that's kind of a hard concept for people who are in power exchange to get, but you always have the right as a submissive to say no. Yeah, I'm going to refer you. We have a podcast actually on healthy power exchange. It's uh, 031. I'm going to, I'll link to that in the show notes. I'm going to suggest that you listen to that. And, you know, where you're saying supposed to be like, I mean, it can be whatever works for you guys, right? The, the important thing to understand about power exchange, and this is a, a realization that's kind of somewhat been a long time coming for me uh, because we did spend, you know, some time in the MS community, is that. There isn't a right way for power exchange to look. Different people have different things that they're willing to give up as far as control, that they want as far as control. And the important thing isn't that there's there's a right way to do it. It's that you and your partner are meshed on what you're looking to give control for and what they're looking to have control of. Um, and as long as that's the case, and as long as you meet some basic guidelines for being healthy, right? Um, which we go over in that podcast episode. There isn't isn't really a right way or a wrong way to do it. It's just more about both of you being on the same page and coming to agreements around what that looks like. All right. Our next question is from Ned, 51 from Maryland. Valentine's Day is coming up, and I often get my two girlfriends flowers and wine as a gift, but I would like to change it up. What other things do Cassie and Amanda appreciate? I just want to make the ladies in my life happy. Any gift ideas? And most importantly, is it better to get what is expected or a surprise? Well, I'm not sure you're on the right track by asking what Cassie or Amanda appreciate because uh, not only is it you know probably very different from what your women appreciate, but it's different from each other as far as yeah, what, what, um, what they appreciate. I think that really the answer is it's irrelevant. And, you know, but what for, do you appreciate, Cassie? Okay, I'll answer it. 
For um, Valentine's Day, I I like sex toys. I mean, that's true. I do like play stuff for Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day doesn't hold as much weight to me as like other holidays, like anniversaries and Christmas and things like that. So smaller stuff. But I guess for me, the biggest thing is knowing that my partners had me in mind. So I'm not big on like the whole like having flowers delivered to me thing every every Valentine's Day. Like it was really, really amazingly sweet the one year you did it. But like I like knowing for Valentine's Day that like when someone's getting me something, even if it is something very small, that there was like a thought behind it, like a thought process. Now, Amanda, on the other hand, is completely the opposite. Like Amanda likes the... She's she's pretty serious about her flowers. Yes. She, she likes that, like getting the flowers delivered to her work and people seeing it and things like that, which kind of leads me into answering that. Is it more important to be a surprise or... Is it important to be what is expected? Well, do you want to address the gift ideas first? I think surprises are great. Uh, They are fun and exciting, especially if it's something that you put thought into. However, if you know your partner is expecting something and it's something that they really enjoy, it's not like, oh, I know I get socks in my stocking for Christmas, but it's something where it's like your partner's like, I can't wait to have those flowers. Like I know for for Rigel and I, if we don't get Amanda flowers, <laughs> we'd probably be in trouble. So there's this thought process of, is it better to get somebody what they want or is it better to get them something that I think that they would like? And I think as I've gotten older and I've had more partners and I've matured, I've come to the conclusion that the best gifts are what act- people actually want versus what I want to give them. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually going to link to a, a blog post in the show notes I read, and it's it's not written by anybody in the relationship space at all. But around Christmas, I read this great article by somebody I follow with tips on how to give the perfect present. It was for the holiday season, and and he's got f- like four or five points in here. the the two that the two that I found most interesting, and I'm I'm just gonna. Like I said, I'm just going to link to this article in the show notes um, is one, don't buy something that somebody's really into, right? Because <laughs> you're probably going to mess it up. But the second thing, and I think more what you were talking about, which is give people what they want, not what you think they want or what you think they need. And I think that holds true. And he's got a couple other tips in here too, and I'll I'll link it. But I think that uh, is it better to get what's expected or a surprise I think it depends on the person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm. Yeah, I, and I can be. I can be kind of split on that at this point in my life, and it depends on who's getting it, giving it to me too. Yeah, I think that's very, very individualistic. But at the end of the day, if you're one of your partners, one of your your ladies has something that they really want for Valentine's Day, just get her what she wants. Like, don't try to be cutesy. Don't try to to be uh, too spontaneous. Like, if you know there's something that one of your girlfriends wants, get it for her. And gift ideas. Yeah. So I think Valentine's Day is the perfect time to get sexy stuff. So if you guys are kinky, 
get kinky stuff. If you're not kinky, still get sex stuff. I think that Valentine's Day is a great holiday for that because it's not like Christmas where you have to open presents in front of a bunch of people. It's something that you do privately. It's also something where like you can give your partner a flower and they can post that on Facebook. But really the big present was the 18 inch dong that they're going to be able to use on you. Why are you looking at me like this? I'm just throwing out gift ideas. So you want an 18 inch dong? That I can use on you? Yeah. So was not yeah. <laughs> what I said. <laughs> that is what I said. So I, I think sexy presence, intimate things as well, like things that your partner would enjoy with just you, whether it's lingerie or just anything that would be personal between the two of you. Also, I think Valentine's Day, because it is like the holiday of love, anything that can really demonstrate your caring and affection and love for your partners is awesome gifts. Things like one year, Amanda and I got Rigel a book with a bunch of pictures throughout the whole year that we put sort of the memory in, like very cutesy wording and stuff like that. So those are two of my suggestions. Um, Love coupons. I mean, if, if I've got to throw something out there, um, you know, like you can get little coupons that like entitle your partner, like this one's good for a chore. This one's good for an uninterrupted hour of conversation. This one's good for them getting the remote for an evening. This one's good for this sexy act. Like um, you this can do that. This one's good for a blowjob. Yeah, but I really, at the end of the day, think that I think it depends so much on the person. Like even just what I would get Cassie is incredibly different from what I would get Amanda. Like if I went and bought Cassie a vibrator to replace her missing vibrator for Valentine's Day. Sounds great. She'd be super happy. Amanda, not so much. I probably want to get her something with cats. So I think it's, I think it's most important to make sure you're getting something specific to that person. Yeah. And one last little tip for Valentine's Day for everybody, um, with the, the gift giving, Also think of if your partner is somebody who is going to enjoy being a spectacle or not. Because flowers, you talked about flowers, that you get flowers. Some people really enjoy the flowers being delivered to their work and all the the other workers going, oh, look at the flowers that he brought you. And like, I would hate that. So, you know, really kind of think about how your partners would and wouldn't like those kind of things. But at the end of the day, it's really going to be up to your to who your partners are, and you're probably the best person to buy them a present. Our next question is from Megan, 31, from New York, New York. My partner did needle play on my vulva over a month ago. My lips have been engorged, swollen, and enlarged four times what they were. They are tender to the touch, not painful, and I'm actually thinking... It is sexy, but my partner is worried something may have gone wrong. I do not want to ask a doctor because that would be embarrassing. Do you have any experience with vulva needle play? If so, is this normal or should I be concerned? Yeah. So um, this is one of those questions that we answered as soon as we got it. Now we're going to re-answer in this podcast. Um, well, first off, I don't have any experience with vulva needle play. I have not personally done it, but I have been around people doing it. And what I can say is this, 
really with needle play, because I've, I've done a bit of needle play, is one of the first things that I learned when someone was teaching me needle play is that things do swell, things get poofy, especially when you're doing it in like a, a thinner area of skin. So like a nipple, things like that. But things after a few days should go back to normal. Maybe a little bruising, things like that. Not a month. But a month is 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 too long. And I have to say, I think four times the size, I think any time was too long. Yeah. You're talking a little swollen for a couple days, not four times the size for a month. Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't even say like the four times the size is the big deal at the time. But like by the next morning, that should have been going down. Yeah. So I'm not a medical professional, but I have enough common medical knowledge, like the the mom kind, you know, like I know how to put a Band-Aid on my kid and I know when I need to take someone to the doctors. This would be that case, right? This is not one of those like, oh, you might not need to go or you could need to go. No. You need to go to the damn doctors. And that's what I sent to you when when you sent this in. I sent it back and was like, go see your doctor. And I understand that it sucks, guys. Like, here's the thing. It sucks when we do things when we're engaging in BDSM play and something goes wrong and we have to bite the bullet and go and talk to a medical professional about the stupid shit that we did, right? Because that's how they're going to look at us. They're going to look at us like, you know, you did, what, what did you do? And it can be a little embarrassing, but it's better to actually find out if there's something wrong and be able to be treated if there is than it is to let something go and something really, really, really bad happen later. Yeah. Now, when, when Amanda had seen this question uh, on our list, you know, she had suggested, hey, you know, you could go to the doctor and tell them, you know, like you had a piercing that didn't work out. You took it out, that kind of a thing. Um, And we had the discussion. I would actually tell the doctor what happened because the problem is any story that you're going to come up with, you know, particularly since you're still having symptoms, isn't necessarily going to cover the possibilities around what actually happened. You know, having, having one piercing in a clinical environment is way different from however many needles you had in your vagina almost certainly not in a medical environment, right? So your doctor needs to know, and I honestly can't think of a creative way to explain that you've stuck a bunch of needles in your vulva without saying you've stuck a bunch of needles in your vulva. And I think you need to say that when you go to see your doctor. So uh, it's an unpleasant conversation, but one you have to have. You can say you did it to yourself if you want, so they don't start asking questions about your partner, but you do need to give them a, a reasonable idea of what's going on. This is one reason, guys, that, and I know we don't all have access to this, but if you can find a kink-aware primary doctor, it makes life so much easier. The NCSF, we refer to their kink-aware professionals directory all the time, has a list of doctors that are kink-friendly. If you have one in your area, if they happen to take your insurance, the more honest you're able to be with your primary doctor, uh, the easier it is to deal with stuff. Just something to keep in mind, guys. But yes, definitely you should be concerned. Go talk to your doctor. We already told you that, but we're going to reiterate it again on here. Our next question is from Nicole, 34, Maryland. I disobeyed my partner's rule in real time, not online, and my dom went silent. He didn't talk to me for five days and six hours. He made no contact. 
how long is too long for silent treatment in DS? And they go on to specify that uh, they're in a 24-7 relationship but not completely living together. That's an interesting question. I have seen people advocate giving subs the silent treatment because other punishments yeah, doesn't work. Sometimes physically punishing them is just encouraging them. And, and physical punishment, honestly, is a whole nother uh whole nother discussion for another day. Yeah. How long is too long? So I have to say I have some opinions about this. And and what I mean by that is not so much in hours, like, okay, five hours is too long or two days is too long. But I think there has to be an understanding of when something gets to be unhealthy for someone, being ignored, not talked to for long periods of time for certain individuals could become very, very unhealthy. I don't think that necessarily there is a, a too long or a too short of, of silent treatment, but I also think that there has to be enough communication open there with your dominant where you could say, hey, this is getting to a point that is unhealthy for me. I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little torn on this one, to be honest. Because I, I am one of those subs who uh, uh, silent treatment would probably work better than uh, physical punishment, to be sure. When we have our, you know, when we do our, our Guide to Healthy Power Exchange, the podcast episode I was talking about earlier, one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, the relationship that you guys have and the people in the, more importantly, the people in the relationship, right? The people in the relationship should always be more important than the power exchange. So I think the answer is the point at which it is unhealthy for you is too long, um, which is really just a different way of saying what you just said. And I don't know exactly what that time is. Some of it depends on how often you interact. Um, you're saying, you know, 24 seven, so I'm assuming a lot. And in that case, five days is probably way too much. And I'd say that if you're counting the hours after five days, it really is probably <laughs> right. way, way too much. So I think that's something to keep in mind, right? Once you make that mindset shift that the people are more important than the power exchange, it, it helps answer some of those questions, questions that we've been talking about in here that otherwise are uh, very kind of up in the air. Yeah, so there's something that dominance, masters, uppercase letter folks tend to say, which is like, we want to we wanna hurt our toys, but we don't necessarily want to break them. And that's usually in the play sense, but it also goes to the power exchange sense, right? Like it should be something that, you know, if it is being used as like a correction tool, like maybe it's something you don't like, maybe it's something that doesn't feel great, but it shouldn't get to a point where it's harming you. Our next question is from Tom, 38, Illinois. What's the signal when out and about to let people know that you're polyamorous? My wife and I are curious if there's a flag we can use a hanky code for, a pin or a shirt. We have seen the infinity heart, the parrot, and the pie symbol, but are any of them actually recognized? We want to meet others to possibly date, but our only bet is finding someone in a public 
place because there is no poly groups near us. So, uh, first off, for those of you who don't know, a hanky code is, you know, because we have people listening who aren't specifically kinky. Hanky code is kind of an old school thing back when there were leather bars where like people would wear different color handkerchiefs depending on which activities they're willing to do. It's not used too much anymore. I will, to answer your question, there's no hanky code. Um, the infinity heart, so the heart with the infinity symbol, the parrot and the pie symbol uh, are all poly symbols. The only one that is distinctive enough to me to be recognized on its own is the infinity heart. Um, the parrot and the pie symbol, you really need more context because you don't, I, there could be a parrot or a pie symbol for another reason. So that's that question. I mean, so you could go around wearing your infinity heart shirt. Um, but honestly, I, I think that trying, hoping that like you're going to put on a poly shirt and run into somebody in public is a needle in a haystack kind of exercise, unless you're already hanging out in the right circles to begin with. Yeah. So if you don't have poly groups near you, like something like the pride festival near you, at least putting yourself in a position where you're in a alternative grouping of people. Yeah, a kink group, like the LGBT community, the friggin' Ren Renaissance-like festival. I mean, which I don't know if you have a Renaissance festival where you are, but like anything where the more alternative-y kinds of ends of society tend to... Hang out? Hang out, I guess. And as we said before, you know, you have the option of finding people online. I would, I would choose almost any route of finding people before wearing a poly symbol out in a, just a general public space and hoping to be recognized. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think your local person at a Walmart is going to recognize your poly shirt. So it's better to put yourself in situations where you're going to meet the kind of people that you're looking for. Yeah. Any other advice on that, on where to look if you're in a place where, like, you get on meetup and you don't see poly groups? I mean, as I said, like trying to connect with other types of alternative groups is helpful. Another thing that you can do is you can see if there is like an online community that is close to you. So maybe there isn't a group that is like 25, 30 minutes from you, but you could do like a day trip and go and do like a poly meetup that's maybe a day trip to go do things like that. And I think that's that's most places now, right? Is if you're willing to make a day trip, you can make it out to like a poly munch, a kink event, something like that. And and like I said, any of those would be my choices over just wandering around downtown wearing, wearing a shirt, wearing a poly heart. So give that a shot and we wish you luck with it. Uh, Chris, question of the evening in my house. While I totally believe we are capable of loving many people, how many simultaneous relationships are practical, possible? What are your thoughts? Do you want me to give the, the geeky answer before you give the practical answer? Go ahead. I know what you're going to say, but do it. Okay. Um, so if you want to get all sciency on this question, there's something called Dunbar's number, which has been studied, which is a, a, a suggested limit to the number of people with whom you can maintain stable social relationships. And it's, it's hypothesized to be somewhere around 150. So that is the, uh, that's the geeky, somewhat unhelpful answer to your question. Okay, so now I'm going to answer it in a more practical way. And the answer is there isn't a number figure. Like it's not like 3.2 partners is the max that every person can have. And 
It really comes down to the individuals, what kind of relationships those are. Just because relationships are simultaneous does not mean that they are equal in time or energy. It also goes into how much these relationships overlap and interact. Obviously, if you have two relationships that you're in, but those two partners aren't ever sharing your time, that that breaks down the time and, and things like that. So really the answer is how much time do you have? How much time are you willing to give? And with that, how many partners works with that for you? Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Sarah, 32 Maryland. I've got a question and a statement. First, thank you, Cassie and Rigel. Your show has helped me and my partner so much. We came across it four months ago and listened to the episode on power of forgiveness. That was with Namaste and Richard. Yeah, that's uh, episode 30. Um, It was the first step in getting past our anger that we had had for each other for three years. From there, we listened to all of your shows. All of them have been insightful and entertaining. I think everyone should listen to your Desire Gap and Love versus Lust episodes. They were a game changer for us. Listeners, if you have not checked them out, do it. So thanks for the pumping there. Um, her question is... <laughs> hard, hard right turn here. <laughs> yeah, hard right turn. Um, my question is, can each of you share your best and worst sexual experience and what you learned from each? So way to, way to kind of put us on the spot, you know, considering <laughs> that I'm sitting here podcasting with my partner. Best and worst sexual experience. That, that is a strangely difficult question. I can start with mine. Go ahead. Why don't you do that? And it's not difficult and I don't want to answer since. It's, I guess, not something I've really given thought to before. So I'm going to start with my worst. I know that's backwards to your question, but... My worst sexual experience was with a guy when I was a teenager, and um, he was not adequately sized. I did not handle it as good as I could have because he could see by the look on my face that I was disappointed. Um, But we persisted to go further, and it was really bad. It was actually one of my first sexual experiences with with a man. Um, I had been with women, and it was incredibly disappointing. And I think the reason it was so disappointing was because I had expected it to go well. And part of that was because he had expressed to me that he had done all, you know, that that he knew all these things and he could do all those things. So what I learned from that was don't have any expectations as far as sex with somebody new. Like go into it with hopes and desires, but not with a attachment to an outcome. So I'm I'm in a bit of a, a different a different place than Cassie. You're spoiled. Um, I, yeah, I'm spoiled. Well, I think it's two things. I'm 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 a guy, which I think helps, and then also more so. Um, I didn't really have any teenage sexual experiences, and then you know my adult sexual experiences have mostly been uh, with people I know. For the most part, so like I haven't had like a lot of like one night stands where the sex was like really awful. So for me, my worst experience experiences, and then I'll narrow it down to one, haven't been necessarily like where the sex was really bad because I mean we all have days of bad sex, but for me, they've when that's happened, they've been with people that otherwise I've had you know friendships and good sex with, so it hasn't been a huge huge deal. Where I'd have to say my worst sexual experiences have come from is when. 
relationship stuff bleeds over into the sex end of things. So we had a partner. We don't talk about much on the podcast, but everybody has like that one partner who they learned a lot of lessons from and wind up having a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of teachable moments. And um, so for us, we, we had a partner like that many, many years ago. And first off, there were some sexual difficulties. That partner had a lot of problems getting off, which and was really focused on getting off, which could make for some some somewhat awkward experiences at times. But sometimes the sex was really good, so it kind of it kind of balanced out. But towards the end of the relationship, there was a lot of stuff going on where there was other relationship problems, and it, it culminated uh, not the relationship culminated, but but from a sexual end, there was a point at which I, I won't forget we were on vacation we were having sex and there was some of the sexual stuff was popping up but at the same time a lot of relationship stuff had been going on and the combination of the two the whole thing completely blew up people wound up leaving from vacation it was it was it was a whole fiasco so for me that was my my worst sexual experience and you know I think it's funny I never really sat down and thought specifically about what I learned but just from listening to myself talk about this, I think what I've learned is that uh, it's a lot easier to get over the bad sexual stuff when, you know, the, the occasional bad sexual stuff that does pop up when you have other positive things in the relationship to 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 pump it up. I think that would be mine. Yeah, I think that's very true. Like, like I injured your penis the other day. Like, I, I bumped your penis and it was a it was a bump. But like, you know. Good sex the rest of the time, things like that, evens yeah. it out. So, and I, I can't say I haven't had, a, like, I think we've all had oopsies and sex just bloopers. awkward mo- Sex bloopers is a good word. Yeah. But but as I said, for me, I think that would be my worst experience. So, Cassie, what's your best? Oh, my. Um, so, it doesn't have to be with me. I'm not going to be offended. No, actually, I mean, my top three have you involved. In one one aspect or another, my fourth you're not in. That one I know is four, but the top three I'm having difficulty. Just pick one. So we went away for our anniversary a few years ago. And what we do on our anniversary is typically Rigel and I take two days. And during that time, we have like a fuck fest day and then like a going out and doing stuff day. And that's sort of like our thing. That's what we do. It is. And we always spend our anniversary as dyad time. Yeah. That is something we learned many years ago. So um, we went away and we spent the day sort of doing all kinds of sexy things. And we started off the day with me scening with you and like beating you. It was like first thing in the morning. Like we got up, we ate breakfast. We came back and I tied you up and I put you in the hood and um, I beat you up and I played with your butt and then I gave you a head, but I gave you head. Don't give me a look like that. I gave you a head. And from there, like we did a whole bunch of like impact play. And then I ended up face sitting on you and then we did some more impact play. And at the end of the, 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 the day, like sort of towards the end, like we hadn't actually had sex throughout like like piv sex through the day and by the end of the evening we had sex and it was it was one of those sexual moments where it starts off like 
it's fucking, let's just be honest. Like it's fucking like, it's like the rough, hard, like gonna fuck your brains out sex. And then it kind of turned more into like the, I love you and caressing and cuddling. And it really sticks out in my brain a lot. Um, just because of how it emotionally felt and how, you know, I mean, the sex was great. I had a ton of orgasms, but, (laughs) but like the emotional connection and kind of just that building through the day was really amazing for me. So what I learned from that experience was that Getting away and taking time to enjoy my partner leads to better sex. Now, we have great sex all the time, but I think some of our best sexual experiences, and that's why I was getting ready to say like I was thinking of another one, which was a more group sex situation. But like when we go away to say camp or we go away for a vacation and we're spending time the sex ends up being even better. And I think it's because you got to have that time just one-on-one or one-on-two, one-on-four, whatever, time with your partner or partners and are able to connect before fucking around. Now, what what is this group thing that you're talking about? Now I'm curious. So um, we had a really, really, really fun experience with one of our partners. It was a, uh, I don't want to say consensual non-consent because it wasn't quite to that level, but it was pretty, pretty rough sex with the person. And it was like one of the first times that we did like DP with somebody. And um, it was just a lot of fun. Um, just from a standpoint of like doing like new things with somebody and huh? Yes. Yes. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. See guys, you can't see us lipping at each other. The the cool thing about it was it was, it was also really lighthearted too. Like the whole interaction. It was, was lighthearted for us. It was, <laughs> it was funny. And, um, you know, we, you know, before doing that, like I had tied her up and all kinds of stuff. So it was it was a lot of fun. And I think that it was one of my better sexual experiences just because it was so just fun. Like I wouldn't say like necessarily like best on like the pleasure scale of things like but like as far as like fun and exciting, that was a really fun experience. Ah, OK, man, I just this is so hard. I'm going to have to go with recent because (laughs) like I'm going to have to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stick to recent and mainly sex focus because if I start branching out the scenes and and time frames, I'm going to be because I I feel like in my mind, I don't have a best. I have like a handful of really awesome ones that stick out in my mind. But the one that I'll say recently is anniversary again, our last anniversary. My bench. Yes. Um, we went away and we we did we did some awesome scening and I got stepped on with Cassie's super gay boots and um, but the part that I'm thinking is they had this bench there like it, I think it was intended to be an ottoman I think it was an ottoman and Cassie like tied me completely down to the thing and rode me for like a stupid long time and it was hours 
the sex was amazing. The connection was amazing. The bench was amazing. The, no, that was what I was saying. You're cutting into my thing. The submissive aspect of it for me was fantastic. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, that that would be my recent one, and it was it was really really great. And what I learned from it was that we needed to buy a bench like that, so <laughs> so we did, and that's been super nice. Um, because Cassie was thinking about stealing the hotel's bench, and I was pretty sure that the amount they were going to charge us for it was not going to be worth it. So I wasn't gonna steal you it. You were discussing it. I said, and stealing isn't really the right word. I was going to see if I could bribe the manager into forgetting that there was an ottoman in that room. I don't consider that the same thing as stealing. So, yeah, stealing is maybe not the right word. Paying the hotel for the ottoman, which would have been stupid expensive. So, uh, yeah, so that was mine. Um, I mean, but I've got I've got lists. The scene that you were talking about, I still remember that with that person, actually, when we went to that hotel event and we had so much sex that like by like halfway through people were like fuck drunk and there's like videos of people just sitting there laughing stupidly panning the room with all the, with sex, all the toys sex toys everywhere, everywhere. yeah <laughs> so i i have been fortunate enough to have uh, have quite a list but that would have to be the one that that at this moment comes to the top of my mind all right guys so thank you for all of your wonderful questions as always uh we enjoy answering them And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1. 